What's going on, FN Nation? Welcome back. This is the, the Fantasy Alarm slash DFS Alarm NASCAR DFS podcast. I'm Dan Malin, and I am now joined by the three-time FSWA NASCAR DFS Writer of the Year, Matt. Congratulations. The news actually broke earlier today, and uh, obviously a lot of people are happy for you on the uh, the old Twitter sphere and uh, within the, the family as well. So congratulations on another big win. Thank you. Uh, I was actually sitting in a meeting when I found out, uh, so I got to share it with a bunch of folks, you know, a bunch of folks from F.A., um, which is always nice. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was not necessarily expected this time. I was up against some stiffer competition, so. Um, but, you know, it's always it's always nice to uh, get the recognition from uh, the industry for the work we put in. And, man, whoever wins it next year is going to have seriously earned it with the uh, grind that this season is going to be. Uh, and it started off with a grind right from the jump with Daytona on a new track or on a new car that we'd not seen. But, you know, Daytona was Daytona, basically. I feel like the truck race was I was actually surprised that of the three races last week, the truck race was the most tame. And it was <laughs> about 10 feet away from being a relatively quiet race with almost no cautions. But right before they took the white flag in the cup race, they threw they threw the yellow caution out. So they did go into overtime, and it it made me sweat out my cash lineups a little bit more. But I still finished in the green and turned a profit on that race. Xfinity race was chaos as expected, and even the cup race. I know we're not going to dwell too much on on recapping Daytona, but the cup race didn't have like a big one, but it had some like it had a couple small to medium wrecks, and it it screwed the Uber chalk of Denny Hamlin early on. Oh, yeah, that was, um, you know, everybody on Twitter going, I knew this was the race to fade Hamlin. Well, for all those who wanted to fade Hamlin, he started 25th and finished 5th last year in the same in the same spot. So, you know, the whole, oh, he was starting 30th. He wasn't going to make it to the front. I don't know. He started 25th That's last crap. year and won, and won stage one and then won stage At two. At Daytona for a guy who's won it three of the previous five years entering yeah. the race, come on. Like, it doesn't matter where he starts. Yeah, like you don't fade anybody at Daytona because it's Daytona. <laughs> now, uh, Austin Sindrick had himself a day, and uh, in interestingly, that's the first time the Blue Deuce has ever won at Daytona. This is what they said on the broadcast. So, congrats to Austin Sindrick. Rookie comes out and uh, gets himself a Daytona 500 win. Uh, Bubba Wallace came pretty dang close. Lost by, I think, .036 seconds, I think they said the... So that's two runner-ups at Daytona and a win at Talladega in the last three uh, plate races for that guy. So I don't think that Talladega wins a fluke, man, because he's no, he's good on he's great on super speedways. Yes. So you know now we turn to a track that we haven't seen them race on in two years. We it's, haven't seen them race on this track in two years. It's a new car, and with Atlanta being repaved, this is officially the ultra tire wear track. Mm-hmm. What's your approach yeah. this week? <laughs> um, well, given that we saw flat tires galore at Daytona, um, <laughs> this could get dicey. I'm just throwing that out there. It's a high <clears throat> tire wear track. Um, if you're listening to this, the track breakdown is already out. Um, and I got some new data points in there for you guys to uh, have some fun looking at. And there's a whole brand new table that's going to be out each week. 
showing weekly track stats, uh, and you'll see a little description of that in the track breakdown. But for the similar tracks this week, we're looking at Atlanta because they haven't raced on the newly paved ones, so we can still count Atlanta's previous history. Um, Homestead is a good one to look at, and Darlington is also a good one to look at. Those are the kind of quintessential high-tire wear tracks that we think of. So, um, you know, looking at those, there's some pretty interesting data points we can pull for this race. I think the biggest question is, how much of a difference is not running the inner liner is going to make, right? Because now you were, you were texting me about this last week. Can you elaborate on that? Because it's basically going to be the same tire that they're going to run all year, correct? Right. So the last several years, we've been used to them running inner liners on certain lengths of track. And if you're not familiar with the phrase inner liner, um, they basically sell them for production cars too. They're called the run flats, right? They're the ones where if you put a nail in your tire, you can make it X amount of miles before your tire goes completely flat because they have an inner tube that stays inflated even if it's flat, essentially. Um, They used to have that on cup cars. Now the problem is apparently that the 18-inch tire that they went to, the sidewalls are too shallow to be able to fit an inner liner in there. So they don't have inner liners, which means if it wears down, it's going to go flat and it's going to go like a balloon, right? It's just going to be a shriveled up piece of rubber wrapped around the uh, the single lug rim there. So the problem that people are going to have with this is that if now at Daytona, we saw two tires go down at the same time and that caused a huge issue. Mm-hmm. We'll have to see what happens if only one goes down, because it's possible that if one goes down you can drive the car essentially on the three tires back to the pits. But if two tires wear out at the same time, like let's say both right side tires wear out, you're done. You're not driving that car back because it's flat. You can't drive it back. It's on the con- It's on the asphalt. It's not going to move. You're going to need it towed. And as soon as that tow truck heads your direction, you're done. Your race is over. If you get towed back to the pit or garage for any reason, your race is done. So... That's going to be something to seriously uh, watch for this weekend. I think, like, you, you know, <clears throat> like the and new by tire the way, and everything. We're wondering, can't use Xfinity and truck to judge it. Well, I guess just Xfinity because truck's off this weekend. But because um, Xfinity is still running the same tires they were last year, which have inner liners in them. So for those wondering if it's going to be an issue in Xfinity, not necessarily because they have inner liners. I was listening to uh, Corey LaJoy's Stacking Pennies co- uh, podcast, and he has uh, Ryan Flores on the podcast almost regularly. And Ryan is a tire changer for uh, Austin Cindric. So obviously he's you know coming off a high in like the Daytona 500 win. And he was talking in the latest episode about how the new tires, it's like, well, compared to the old tires, you know, you would be able to, as a tire changer, you would be able to, you know, change a tire, put the put the five lug nuts back on, and basically he would be able to tell you like if all five were on or if there was maybe one that was loose. Even as the car drove away, he was just like, yeah, like there was there was at least one in there that didn't fire off properly. But now with the one single nut on the car on the wheel, he's like, he doesn't have as much confidence in knowing whether it's on there like completely. And if it's going to, if the wheel will, if the tire will stay on. So now he's, he's basically look, he basically said, he's like, yeah, I'm not joking when I say this, but it's like, 
I hope the tire's on the car. I hope it stays on the car. So it's like there's still this drastic learning curve that, you know, the, the teams and the crews, like they're trying to still like feel this car out. And unfortunately, like Daytona was a great race, but, you know, we still can't really take much away in terms of what to expect with this car and the tires. Right. Um, I mean, a couple tires did fall off of cars during Daytona. Yeah. Um, the other difference I'll say is that the lug nuts on the previous edition of the tires <clears throat> were glued onto the rim. Right. Like when you and I went to the pits at Daytona, we saw the lug nuts glued onto the rim. Right. They glue the five lug nuts to hold them on there for when they put them on. And then when you put the the gun to it, it breaks the bond of the glue and it tightens it down. Mm-hmm. Right. Now the single lug stays in the gun. It doesn't go onto the tire. It stays in the gun. Yeah, so, and he even commented on that, too. He was like, as, like, the tire's getting changed out, he's like, you know, there were moments where I he he said, like, he thought that the nut actually fell out of the gun. And that was a problem for other teams as well as they were changing tires. It's like, there were teams that were experiencing the one single lug nut falling out of the gun, and then it, that just delays your pit stop yeah. even more, unfortunately. So it's just going to take some getting used to. Um, ultimately, when these guys perfect it we should see four tire stops with no fuel in about the nine second range so pit stops should actually be quite a bit faster with these single lugs once they get used to it and the choreography and the you know how it feels on the gun and whatnot so um but tires are going to be the talk of this race again because it's a high tire wear track it hasn't been raced on in two years they're putting resin on the track to try to widen it out a little bit um and it's already a pretty wide track too yeah, they're uh, they drove they drug the tire dragon uh, across it, and for those of you that are unfamiliar with that term, it's basically a truck that has a rig attached to it that has an absolute crap ton of tires on a bar on the back. So it's basically a tire, like tires sitting on an axle, right? And this truck just drives along the track and wears the tires down so that it creates like a wearing effect on the track and you get some rubber laid into it and whatnot. They also tried to grind some of the bumps off the surface, I guess. Um, So they've put a little bit of work into it, but it's basically going to be a green racetrack when they come out there because nobody's been on it for two years. So practice on Saturday should be fun. Now that's a great segue because can you explain the practice sessions this week? It's almost like they're going to be running two groups and they only get 15 minutes each. Like, we're not going to get many 10-lap runs. No, not particularly. I mean, it's a two-mile track. So, um, And for those of you that are saying, well, let's just compare it to Michigan, I mean, you can in distance, but the problem is that Auto Club's banking is at 14 degrees and Michigan is in the tw- like in the low to mid-20s. Like, it's a significantly steeper track. Um, this drives a lot more like Kansas, to be honest with you, in terms of banking and the... Um, and how wide the corners can be and whatnot. So, um, but that being said, you know, it takes, it'll probably take about 45 to 50 seconds to do a lap here, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you're not going to see a whole lot of 10 lap runs because I'm sure they're going to get out there, shake it down for a few laps, see how it feels, ask for some changes, get back out there. So, <clears throat> Yeah, these guys are going to have a couple of sessions, and then practice for both series bleeds right into qualifying. 
So you get like a half hour for practice in Xfinity, and then the next hour is qualifying. Will they have enough time to necessarily go out, see what they need to change, fix it, and then get back out on the track? Because from what I've heard is like these sessions are going to be relatively quick. Like the, the, a lot, a lot of the research I've done this week has basically said it's like you know unless teams are willing to you know fail tech inspection for you know making adjustments to the car it's like the show the car you show up with is the one you're going to be racing with unless you want to sacrifice your qualifying spot yeah i mean they're basically the practice sessions are basically shakedown sessions right just yeah. make sure nothing's leaking make sure your lead's not going to leak out the back of your car like we saw with denny hamlin a couple of years ago and like you know just make sure the, the tires are attached and all that but there's not going to be a whole lot of room for mass adjustments and if you make one you're going to spend the first part of the race figuring out if it was the right way or if you made the car worse right mm -hmm. so in terms of you know doing a full-blown practice report it's probably not going to happen for these sessions because they're just too short there's not enough to confidently re you know report on because we're not going to get long runs we're not going to get um i'm sure somebody now, it will be interesting to see what happens with these multi-car teams because is a team like Hendrick going to show up with two different setups, have two dudes go make long runs and have two dudes make short runs to see which one is better, right? That's kind of an advantage of having, you know, three, four cars on your team is you can, you can basically say, hey, you guys are going to do this strategy and you guys are going to do this strategy and we're going to see which one is better, what adjustments need to be made. Guys who are on single car teams aren't going to have that option, like a Ricky Stenhouse, right? Not going to have that option. Um, you know, the smaller car teams probably aren't going to have that option either. So <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see what exa how exactly these teams, uh, you know, do practice now that practice actually counts for something. Because with Daytona, they almost never practice the whole time anyway. All right. Uh, before we dive into the driver pool or the drivers that we want to talk about just in brief uh, for this weekend, uh, let's talk uh, schedule. We're recording this Thursday night. Apologies for not getting this in on Wednesday. Uh, unfortunately, I had to work late last night for some really dumb stuff. I can elaborate in, in the NASCAR DFS Discord if you want. I already told Matt about it. Um, anyway... Uh, what's the schedule schedule like looking for you? I know you're far busier than me this week. I only have to cover Xfinity, but you're on top of so much stuff, including fantasy baseball. That may not even happen. Yeah, that's true. I am generating the MLB auction values for the draft guide. Those will be out hopefully on Friday for those of you who are interested for a season that may or may not actually start on time. Um, but that being said, the track breakdown is out. It's up on uh dfs alarm um and teaser here we're going free this week again again because i won the fswa so why not celebrate and make it free and let everybody see what won me the award right all right um that being said the content will be free the tools uh will still be paid so the the projections the lineup generator and the example lineups are all going to be still behind the paywall but the track breakdown podcast DFS rankings, playbook, prize picks piece, picks wise piece are all going to be free this week. Um, I guess so, I'll make Xfinity free. <laughs> so 
Um, obviously, the pod will be out Friday morning. Um, DFS rankings will be out probably some point Friday, and then they'll be. And then, yes, I will update them following qualifying on Saturday afternoon. Uh, then we're going to kind of have a lull a little bit for Saturday morning because practice and qualifying isn't until the afternoon for Cup. Um, and then it's going to be a flurry of stuff in Saturday afternoon because uh, projections will be out after qualifying. DFS rankings will be updated after qualifying. Playbook will be out after qualifying. Um Pixwise piece will likely be out after qualifying because qualifying here kind of matters as you'll see in the track breakdown. Um, Prize picks will be out Sunday morning and example lineups will be out 90 minutes prior to lock on Sunday. So now somebody in the NASCAR, somebody in the NASCAR discord did ask when do example lineups come out? It's, it's always important just to assume that they'll be out 90 minutes before lock because you know, as we're getting back to practice and qualifying, um, the practice sessions aren't long. And so if teams are opting to make drastic changes to the car, uh, they are going to be sacrificing their qualifying spot Sunday morning. A lot of teams this season going forward, we could see them fail uh, tech on purpose on Sunday if they're trying to do something. Um, Chase Elliott, who has driven from the back and won like five times. Bingo. Uh, so... Bear with Matt uh, on the example lineups. They, for the most part, like every week, it'll be 90 minutes before lineup lock just because there will be teams that are going to be making drastic changes uh, and they will be failing tech. And so that will influence our decision on how we approach certain drivers based on where they qualified and where they're actually going to be starting. Right. Also, as a side note, they come out that late. Not that it's necessarily late, but for two key reasons. One... Y'all are supposed to be building your own lineups and then use my examples as kind of a strategy buffer as to why certain guys fit certain lineups, right? They're not designed to be plug and play. Um, I know some people use them that way. I'm not going to crack down on it, but I'm just putting that out there, putting out a PSA that they're really meant to be strategy reaffirming things. They're not, you know, plug and play things. The other thing is, those of you that do do plug and play, I don't want to put them out that early and then flood contests with whole runs of the same lineup yeah. because that's how people get chopped out of the money, right? Because if that thing hits, now you got to be the whole lineup train and we all hate you. You're sharing. Um, so two, two kind of reasons there. And then the third one obviously is, yeah, there's tech inspection now. I mean, there always is, but like, you could see people lose qualifying spots because now there's actual qualifying that happens. Um, and so if I put them out early and then I don't adjust them, then we get a problem. Also, if I put them out early and then I have to adjust them, then it's twice as much work. So, you know, just kind of a protector on multiple ways. All right. Well, that said, you want to start talking drivers? Yeah, we can briefly hit on some drivers. Can we lead uh, off with Tyler Reddick? Gosh, he is he's just the driver yeah. I want to play almost everywhere this week. I don't care where he starts. Yeah, I'm not sure it's going to matter much where Tyler Reddick starts, given how good he is on high tire wear tracks. Well, not just that, but like 8400 on DraftKings. He's barely above the average price. He's below the average pr- price tag on FanDuel. It's yep. just you and I were talking before the podcast, and I made the comparison to last year when Kyle Larson, before he went on his 
his terrorizing run where he was <laughs> winning almost every single week. You know, he was priced under 10K a few weeks. I think he even made it under 9K. Tyler Reddick is 8,400. A lot of people are expecting this to be a breakout season for him. He was fast at the clash. I mean, I'm not going to really poo-poo on you know, this is one of the most talented young drivers in the Cup Series. It's still good equipment, and, you know, he showed up fast at the Clash. I feel like he can show up fast anywhere, especially on a high tire wear track. Like, I just want to throw Tyler Reddick in any lineup that I can imagine this week. Yeah, so he did well his only trip to Auto Club in the Cup Series because, again, they haven't raced here in two years. Um, he moved up several spots in that one, you know, finished – I guess about 11th, I think, uh, but moved up like eight spots to get there. Also, by the way, in that one race, he put up 71 quality passes, uh, which is ridiculously impressive on a non-Daytona track. Um, quality passes, for those who are uninitiated, are passes that happen under green flag racing, so aka not on a pit stop, you have to pass these guys on the track. And it's passing people who are in the top 15 spots. And they're called quality passes because usually those are the harder guys to pass because they're the faster cars. Um, to have 71 in a race is really impressive, considering the fact it came, I believe, in his rookie year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, on similar tracks, he's got a pretty good average finish as well. He's got a couple of top fives. Three total top tens in nine races on high, uh, you know, high tire wear tracks. Also, let's keep in mind that the outside line at Auto Club also does very well. And who does that suit? That suits guys like Tyler Reddick, who, if he could be inside the wall in racing you, he would be, right? Like, he likes as close to the wall as he can get. So, um, he and Kyle Larson are going to have a contest to see just how close to the wall they can get without hitting it. <laughs> uh, segwaying to Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott, I believe they are the two most expensive drivers yep. on both slates this week. What's the approach with these guys? I mean, 11,006 and 11,001 on DraftKings is a very, very steep price to pay for these guys. Like, if they're both starting top 10 or even top 15, I find it incredibly difficult to play both because you're going to need both to collect dominator points. Or at, if one's collecting dominator points, the other needs to be offering position differential. And plus, if you're playing both, that's going to cuff you to – the remaining four drivers costing you $27,300 total on DraftKings. Um, so it's like you almost just have to pick your poison with one of them. And if, if I was going to choose one, I'd lean Larson. But honestly, I might be light on both this week. Yeah, I'm with you. If it was one, I'd go Larson only because his history here is pretty good. Um, he also has a history of leading more laps and getting more faster laps than Chase. And keep in mind that those numbers came in a Ganassi car. Not a Hendrick car. He has yeah. not raced at Auto Club in a Hendrick car. Um, also, Larson is usually very good at high tire wear tracks because his dirt racing background comes in handy because he can make time on bald tires. Um, but I'm with you. That's You're going to need... So in the track breakdown, I point out that in each of the last five races at Auto Club, which is from 2016 to 2020... Um, you know, uh, sorry, 2019, so 2015 to 2019. Um, I point out that only one driver in each of those races has led 100 or more laps. And only three times have two drivers topped the 50-lap led plateau. So you're getting one dominator, 
right? That's basically what we can bank on is one dominator. If it's Larson, great, but you're going to need him to be, you're either going to need him to start dead last or you're going to need him to start in the top five and lead like 110 laps to hit that and then finish in the top five to hit value at 11.6. So I'm not telling you not to play him. I'm just saying you've got to be aware when you play these guys what the level of production is to hit value. And for those, again, uninitiated value is at least 5x. So if you take 11.6 on DK, divide that by 1,000, that's 11.6. Times that by 5, that's how many points you need from him, which is like 58 points, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That's a pretty steep that's a pretty steep price to pay for for Kyle Larson. All right, moving on down. Uh, we have a couple JGR drivers with Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, and, and in general, you know, Martin Truex is about the sixth most most expensive driver. Who do you like out of JGR this week? A lot of people will talk Kyle Busch, and I'm kind of on board with that, just given that he has done well here in the past at Auto Club. And plus, I've heard other touts and even – even on other just NASCAR non-DFS podcasts, a lot of people just expecting Kyle Busch to be one of the better drivers in the field. Uh, he's getting practice and qualifying this season. We know that plagued him the last couple seasons, but whenever a new generation of car has been introduced, he's been one of the best drivers to quickly adapt to the changes and just read what he needs to do and what he needs to get out of the car. Uh, is Kyle Busch probably the the JGR driver we're looking at this week? Uh, Probably it's pretty hard to go against him. I mean, I really do like Truex's history here, but the problem is I don't know if I fully trust that team yet. Um, I don't know. They were kind of, they were consistent, but not dominant last year. And if we're going to pay the prices that JGR guys are going off at, um, I almost, I'd almost go Bell over MTJ this week. Well, yeah, I mean, you get a serious <laughs> You get a serious discount. I mean, Bell is 8000 and MTJ is the third most expensive uh, JGR guy at nine eight. So you're getting almost a two grand discount there on Christopher Bell. Um, you know, it's a little early to judge whether Christopher Bell is good at this type of track or not. Um, didn't have a whole lot of success last year, but again... We're also talking, you can't just take what happened the last couple of years at high tire wear tracks and say it's one for one swap because we have higher, we have higher horsepower and low downforce this year compared to high downforce and middling uh, horsepower the last couple of years at these kinds of tracks. So it's not a one for one swap. Uh, but if I'm going JGR, I'm going to go Kyle Busch uh, at 10-4. All right. Uh, the Penske boys are all spread out. Ryan Blaney, uh, Ed Rouse's uh, you know, childhood hero, is $10,000. Joey Logano is 9400 Daytona 500 winner Austin Sindrick is way down at $7,600. Uh, you and I were talking on the podcast that, you know, Sindrick may be having a Daytona 500 hangover. Just because when you're when you win the 500, you have a lot of media obligations to attend to, the days following the race, and so it it can distract you from your preparation for Auto Club or the or the following race in general. 
Um, Blaney has been good here. He should have won this race two years ago. I don't, I'm not necessarily buying into Logano this week, although like the Fords, Penske in general, like Penske's won the two races so far this year. They won the Clash, they won Daytona. Is this, do they go three straight with Ryan Blaney potentially getting a win? If I'm going to look at Penske, I'm going to look at Blaney. I don't I don't know that I want any parts of Joey Logano this week. His high tire wear finishes recently have not been good. Um, if you look at, you know, his average finishes at Atlanta and Darlington and uh, here and even some Homestead, they're kind of okay. I mean, he's bolstered by he's either going to finish very well or he's going to finish like outside the top 20. Right. And that's. A little dicey for me at the price you're going to have to pay. I'd rather pay that price for Blaney, um, who, like we said, probably should have won this race two years ago before he had to pit with, like, three laps to go because, I don't know, there was a tire vibration that wasn't actually there. He thought it was there. I don't know. Um, still bitter about that because we had we were crushing that race and then Blaney <laughs> had to pit with three laps to go. Um, but, yeah, I, it's hard not to, like, Brian Blaney this week, but I will caution you that a Ford has won this race just once since 2009. So that puts a little bit of a damper on it. Um, if you're a huge field GPP and you're um, playing, I'm going to say more than 10 lineups, Austin Sindrick is a possibility because I think a lot of people are going to be on the same thought path that we are. Uh, that he's kind of a little hungover in more ways than one from the Daytona 500 win. Um, that being said, it was the two-car team that won this race last for Ford in 2015. Obviously, it was Kislowski behind the wheel. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and Cindric has been good at, t- at high tire wear tracks in his brief time in the Cup Series. So, um, And in Xfinity, he did well here. Did very um, well. You know, one one point of note is in the track breakdown, he'll have an asterisk next to his name. That just means the stats that I'm showing you are from the Xfinity series. He raced there three times, had two top tens. But again, that was not after winning the Daytona. Moving on. Uh, Moving on, we have four drivers. This is DraftKings person that we're talking. Uh, We have four drivers in the low 9K, high 8K range. Uh, Kevin Harvick, Alex Bowman, Kurt Busch, Brad Keselowski. I'm curious as to who you like the most out of these four drivers. Kevin Harvick has a history of just dominating high tire wear tracks like Atlanta. Uh, but last year, that was not the case. Uh, I think Alex, Bo- Alex Bowman's won here before, right? Yeah, he actually won it um, the year that Ryan Blaney should have. So two years ago? Yes. Um, Kurt Busch, if you, th- if you think back to the first Atlanta race last season... He was incredibly fast in the first stage, and then early in stage two, he got wrecked by, I think, his brother or Denny Hamlin pushed Kyle Busch into Kurt Busch. Well, um, it was a, it was like a rainy restart or something, and he lost grip after being – I think there was a little bit of shoving, but I think he mostly just lost grip on the wet rain track. That may have been it. I remember I had, like, a lineup in that race that had 320-something points, and that was with a negative 15 from Kurt Busch. I was a little bitter about that one. Uh, but then Kurt comes back and he wins uh, Atlanta two, pretty much dominating fashion. Uh, it was Kurt that finished yeah. first and Kyle finished second. 
Uh, pretty dominant run from Kurt Busch. And then we have Brad Kislowski, who, as you mentioned, has one here. Uh, it may boil down to starting position, if, but if we're just looking at track history and uh, a resume on high tire wear tracks, who do you like most in this range? I'm going to go inverse of that order. I'm going to go Kislowski 1, Kurt 2, Bowman 3, Harvick 4. So basically you're taking the discount? Yeah, I'm taking the discount. Also, Kislowski is the only driver in the field with four top fives in the last four races here. Um, kind of hard to beat that. You can make the argument that the Penske equipment has been better than the Roush equipment, but everybody's on a whole new, like, all-level playing field at this point because it's all the new car. And I got to say, Kislowski's cars look quick to start the season. He looked good in the in the... You know, the Clash, he looked good in the duels. And, you know, yeah. He's did aggressive he as hell. Almost half the field of Daytona? Sure. Yeah. But there. <laughs> he was making moves to try to win it. So, he can't, you know, can't fault him there. And he's been pretty good on similar style tracks. So, I would go Kislowski 1, Kurt 2, Bowman 3, Horvick 4. I just don't know that I trust the SHR cars right now. Um. You know, yeah, Harvick looked pretty good at Daytona, but anybody can look good in Daytona. Uh, now it's about single car speed, and I just don't trust Haas to have single car speed right now. Uh, I think I'm agree. I'm, I'm in agreement with you as Harvick being my least favorite driver of these four. Bowman's probably third for me, but I will take Kurt over Brad. I just love the the one concern I have with Kurt is just the change in manufacturer and a new right. team. Um, but overall, I think he knows what he needs here. Uh, he was great at Atlanta last year. Um, I mean, he he won one of the races, potentially could have won the first race at Atlanta too. Um, but we are doing a pre free preview for the playbook this week. So I will leave this to your discretion. Uh, are there any value plays below 8,000 on DraftKings or are there any value plays on FanDuel that are necessarily sticking out to you? We are over 30 minutes on the podcast right now. So it's, I'm going to leave it up to you with how many drivers you want to talk about for the remainder. I mean, I think we could, we could leave it up to the playbook. You know, you have to check it out. There are some, some interesting guys down there that, that will be in the playbook um, for sure. Um, but yeah, we're going to, we're, we're going to leave it. We're going to leave it there and just, uh, you know, you have to come check out the work on, on Saturday. I love it. Give them in your clicks. Now, uh, do, do you think that this could be a race where we start to integrate more cash gameplay or given that we haven't raced at Auto Club in two years, it's a new car, you know, there's not going to be a ton of practice, but we'll know who's fast from practice and qualifying. Do you think cash games are back on the table more so this week or are you limiting it? to? I already have my reservations for the happy hour. I mean, that was that only cost me 20 bucks. But, you know, I'm, I'm fine if that's all that I play this weekend because I still am a little hesitant to go in on the $12, 24 and the $50 single entry contest. Yeah, I would say the cash games are definitely uh, back in play this week. Um, you know, it Auto Club is, despite all the warnings we've given you about the high tire wear and the, you know, new cars and whatever, it is a much more predictable track than Daytona and certainly the purpose-built one in the Coliseum, right? Um, yeah, the cars are new, but they've been tested 
pretty well at this point. These guys, I mean, you're talking about the cream of the crop, right? You can put them on any racetrack and they'll figure out how to race it pretty quickly. I mean, just look at Coda last year, right? First time these guys had ever been on an F1 quality road course and they figured it out in a weekend. So, um, yeah, I would say cash games are fine for cash game. You're, you're going to want a guy, you know, you're going to try and get the laps led. So you're going to yep. want more dominator. And then the rest of them are going to be position differential. And again, I give some stats about where you can find position differential um, in the track breakdown this week. Uh, for GPPs, you're going to want the one dominator. You could try to go with a two dominator build and try to get the guy who's going to lead 50 something laps if that happens. Um, and then the rest of them are going to be, again, mostly PD. Um, and this is a two mile track. So you're not going to see a lot of guys get lapped. You'll see some guys get lapped, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be a lot of guys because it takes a very long time to try to, to try to lap somebody on a two mile track. All right. Well, with that said, playbooks are free this weekend. Everything is free. Be sure to check us out in the NASCAR DFS Discord. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Uh, if you're in the Discord, be sure to congratulate Matt on another uh, FSWA award. Uh, I know behind the scenes how much effort he puts into everything he does uh, from all the written work, notes, uh, the example items he puts out, and, and just all the projections that he does. So, And by the way, the track breakdown is only like a quarter of the data that I put together for each race. Like, yeah. There are there are tables that help me do projections and all sorts of you know little interesting facts for the playbooks and whatnot. But you know I get to you know share those with Dan every week and so I don't know. I think it's about a 25 tab table. That there's about 25 sheets on that table each week. Um, so yeah, the, not going to be sharing those with you guys, <laughs> I assume, but it all comes out in the work anyway. So, um, yeah. Thank you, Dan, for the uh, for the kind words. And, no, uh, man. Well earned. We'll see what happens the rest of this year because it's going to mm. be a hell of a grind. Well, Matt, best well, of luck to you. Best of luck to the FA Nation. I hope somebody takes something down this weekend. Yeah, we had some – you know, we had some – some winners, not some huge ones, but we had winners. Anytime you're playing for at least free in NASCAR DFS, it's a good weekend, right? If As long as you don't have to, you know, same rules apply to Blackjack in Vegas last week. If I didn't re have to reach into my chip stack to replenish what I was playing with, it was a good hand, right? Yeah. So same rules apply to DFS NASCAR. All right. Best of luck to you, Matt. Best of luck, FA Nation. Let's make some money. Best of luck, FA Nation.